that you'll be drunken naked for Jesus. But something along those lines would be nice. Something personal, something that's for us, something that God has in store for us. And so I, I really I want to pray that that's what God's uh, going to do in the time that we have tonight. Lord, we, we ask that you would make your, your word alive in us tonight, that you would speak directly to us, that you would have something for us, specifically for us, that would be personal, that would be deep, that would be life-altering. God, not because you owe it to us and not because we've earned it, but out of your grace, we pray that you would do that for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading comes from uh, Luke chapter 12. This is, we've been going through Luke, and uh, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't too excited when I when I found out this was where we were and this was what we were going to talk about tonight. And you'll see in just a little while, it's a, it's a tough passage. But as I looked at it, I really think there's a, there's a lot for us to take away from it. So let's, let's take a look. This is Luke 12, 35 through 40. And this is, um, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or the third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come, at an hour when you do not expect him. This, is, um, this begins a, a passage from Jesus where he, he tells this, this parable and he tells a, another parable very similar to it. And um, I think it, it's hard uh, to, for us to take away uh, what, what Jesus might have for us in that because a lot of times we're focused on you know, all the good things and, and, and we don't, we don't want to talk about things like judgment we don't want to talk about the, uh, the fearsome side of when Christ returns. But Jesus does. Jesus does address that. And so we have to, we have to look at that. In this scripture here, you know, he's telling the story of, uh, of a master. It's the picture of master and slaves. It was something that everybody around then would have been familiar with. It would have been something that they understood of, of a master and servants. And the master has gone away. And the servants, they need to be ready. Because the master is going to come back. The master is going to come back. And what's he going to find when he returns? That's the picture. And there's a, cool little, there's a cool little bit here where he talks about when the master does return, he's actually going to serve the servants who have been, you know, working so diligently while he was gone. And that was cool. I, I would imagine he got a chuckle when he said that because it was just so different from what they had expected. They would have never expected the master to come back and then, you know, serve the servants. But this is a picture of Jesus, and it's, a, and it's a picture of the return of Jesus. I know when I, when I was a new Christian, I didn't, I didn't get the whole Jesus coming back thing. Um, that is a promise. It is a promise of Scripture that Jesus is going to come back one day, that he's going to come back in a similar fashion to the way that he came the first time, in that it will be bodily, it will be on earth, that Jesus is coming back. That's a promise of Scripture. We can't forget that. We can't forget that. In, in, in this parable, Jesus is kind of making that point. Don't forget. That you don't know the hour that Jesus is coming back, but, but he is going to come back. 
the master, he's going to return. You just don't know when that is. You, you have no idea. So you have, to, you have to prepare for it all the time that Jesus could come back. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen tonight. It could happen during the service. That's kind of the language that Jesus is using here. I used to have a, a sticker on my snowboard that said, uh, Jesus is coming, look busy. You know, it's kind of that picture that he's painting of, you know, you guys, we, that, we're wor- that we are working for the master and that there's, we don't know how much time there is. Okay, so what does this have to do with us? I think the first thing, understanding that the master's return may be delayed, but it's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And believing that. And um, I'd encourage you, we don't have enough time tonight to talk just about the return of Christ, but, but that is a promise of Scripture. That's not craziness. That's not unique to River City Church. That is part of the orthodoxy of what we believe as Christians, that Jesus is coming back. That we have to be ready for it. So, you know, when you first read this, you think almost inevitably you're drawn to the message for unbelievers. Especially, we're going to look at the way that he ends this. But it seems like he's talking maybe to unbelievers. The message, I think, is, is relevant to a couple different groups. Definitely relevant to unbelievers. Because what he's saying, I think, resonated with me and my buddies that I went to high school with. Because I remember after I became a Christian, I went back and I was talking to one of my friends. And he told me, point blank, he's like, you know, Tom, I think one day I might become a Christian. But not right now. And, you know, I just, I don't want, I don't want him messing up my life. <laughs> and serious, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it was, it was just like that. I, you know what? I might, I might even become a Christian one day, but I, I, don't, I just don't want to mess up what I've got. And of course, I want to say, what you've got ain't that great. You know, it's like, seriously? What are you really holding on to that's so awesome? But, but that's, that's part of the message, I think, that Jesus is saying. There is an element of, look, you don't know that you're going to have that option. You don't, you don't know that you're one day going to be old in a rocking chair and decide, you know what, I'm going to accept Jesus. I remember being a smart aleck, and uh, my mom would make me go to Sunday school, and I remember telling the Sunday school t- teacher when she was trying to explain grace, and, and I said, so, so wait, so you're saying I don't have to do anything. I could just wait until the day I'm going to die and accept Jesus. So if I see that truck coming and I'm going to get smacked, all I have to do is say a little prayer, and that's it. You know, my poor Sunday school teacher, well, yeah, yeah. I think Jesus' response would be, you don't know. You don't know when that's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. That's part of it. That's not the primary message of Jesus, but that's part of the message of Jesus. That, look, you, you, have, you think that you know these things, but you don't. There's an immediacy to the message that he brings. And for unbelievers, I think it's really important. You know, if, if, if you have an opportunity, if you're around unbelievers, if you yourself have not come to that decision for yourself, you know, I, I, I've thought about giving my life over to Jesus. I've thought about, you know, really committing to him, but I've never done it. This parable, I think, should resonate with you. It, it, it should speak to this idea of you don't know how long you have, and do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. The greatest deception you could think of that Satan, you know, there's this parable of Satan, and he's trying to develop a strategy. So he brings in some demons, and he's like, come on, let's figure out a strategy that we can really, you know, uh, grow our kingdom, not God's kingdom. We want to grow ours. And so some of the demons start throwing out different lies that they want to speak into people's lives. You know, let's tell them that there's no God. And Satan's like, no, 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 that's not going to work. Everybody knows there's a God. Everybody sees creation. It's not going to happen. Well, let's tell them there's no heaven. Let's tell them there's, there's no hell. 
And then one of them says, let's tell them there's no hurry. Let's tell them there's no hurry. And that's a great lie. Because it's so easy to get sucked into for people to say, you know what, I'm going to get my life straight with God. I'm going I'm to talk to him. I'm going to deal with him at a later time. Because all they're thinking about is they don't want God to mess up their life today. That's what they think God wants to do. And they think Jesus came all about heaven. It's all about heaven and avoiding hell. That's not all it is. At the end of the scripture, in Luke 12, 47 through 48, he tells a similar uh, story of a master and a servant. And he ends with, that servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Beaten with blows. Not something we normally talk about with Jesus. You know, it's not something we focus on. It's not something that Jesus focused on, unlike a lot of the church. A lot of the church is focused on this issue of judgment, this issue of hell. There's a, a real famous pastor, real gifted, huge impact um, in the world that died a couple months ago. And he started something called Evangelism Explosion, which is a great ministry. But the foundation of that ministry is, is almost built on the question of, if you died tomorrow, do you know where you'd go? Now, granted, that's not my approach, because I don't think it's all about heaven and hell. But it was very effective at making people think about, no, I don't know, I don't know. That, that lines up with the ministry of Jesus. It's not the primary ministry of Jesus. It's to talk about heaven and hell, but it is something that he talks about. In this passage, he says, look, there is a judgment that's coming, and and there's, all, there's this different level of punishment as well. And I don't even want to try to unravel that. But there definitely is a relationship between what we know and the punishment that's in store. Now, aren't you glad that Jesus paid it all? For those of us who have given ourselves over to Christ, for those of us who you know, sing the song, Jesus paid it all, and we worship him, what did he pay? What was the debt that he, that he took over? He was the one that endured the blows for us as Christians. That's the punishment that he endured. But the message for unbelievers, they don't have that security. They don't have that thing to to hang their hat on. And so there is an element for, for unbelievers to understand that there is a judgment coming. Jesus does talk about a judgment. He does talk about punishment. We don't have the picture of hell you know, that we could get from movies and things like that, but we definitely have something that doesn't sound good, okay? I don't want to be beaten, all right? It just doesn't sound like something I want. But the message is not just for the unbelievers. And this is so funny, because I I would love to say, oh, that's what it's all about. But Peter actually, Jesus tells the first story, and then Peter says, uh, he says something like, I've got it somewhere. Oh, he says, Lord, Lord, are you, are, are you telling this parable t- to us or to everybody? You know, like, you could, you could see he's a little nervous. You know, is this, for, is this for us or is this just for them? And then Jesus tells the second parable, which is almost identical to the first one, you know, uh, this idea that there is a time coming. It is for everyone. It seems obvious that Jesus is making the point that this, Jesus, this message is for everyone. The primary message, let me just say this real quickly, because I, I don't want anybody to get a misconception uh, of the message of Jesus. 
the primary message of Jesus is repent. Change your life. Give your life over to God because the kingdom of God is near. That's the primary message of Jesus, right? That the kingdom of God is drawn close and you can experience it today. Not when you die. It's not some distant off thing. It's something that you can experience today. The salvation that Jesus offered is not a salvation just from hell. It's a salvation today in this life. That's the primary message of Jesus. But part of that message is this idea of judgment. That is, there will be a day that comes when you will face a judgment. And if you haven't gotten with Christ, if you're not under Christ, if you haven't given yourself to that kingdom, then you're on the wrong side of it, and bad things happen. So, okay, that's, I just want to make sure I get that out there. Um, for unbelievers, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time. Actually, for all of us, now is the time. That's the, the words of Paul where he says, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And again, the picture of salvation is never just a picture of salvation from hell. It's all about getting a check in a box so that you don't go to hell. I saw my friend was missing when we were talking about it. And he said, well, I don't want God to mess up my life. No, salvation for this life. The salvation that he offers is for this life. He is actually going to save you in this life. You are going to find yourself in, in, inside of a kingdom of the supernatural. You're going to find yourself in, in a kingdom that's fulfilling. You're going to live life the way it was designed. That's the salvation that we have today. Okay, so let's get back to the message for believers. So what does it mean for me? I've already accepted Jesus. What are you trying to say? Well, I think it's important for us to pick up on a, on a theme that Jesus has that's continued all through the New Testament. And that is this idea of the urgency of the message of Jesus. That we shouldn't be putting things off. I'll give you a perfect example. For me, all the time, I get stuck on, I just can't see past, you know, this thing. I just can't see past graduating from college. Or I can't see past getting this thing done. I can't see whatever. And I say things like, yeah, okay, after this is done, then I'm going to deal with this thing. Or after this, after this thing happens, then I'm going to move on to that next thing. And the message for me, for all of us, even as believers, is you, you don't know that that thing's ever going to happen. If you're holding things off just to hold things off, that's, that's not in line with the teachings of Jesus. And it's not in line with the teaching of the New Testament. Examples. Jesus, he tells a parable of, a, of this guy who gets super rich. So rich, he's building extra barns so he can put more stuff in it. And he says, hey, he says to himself, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God responds, you fool, this very night your life will be taken from you. It's this parable that Jesus is telling, this idea, you don't know how long you have. Don't put things off. Jesus is the one that gives instructions to pray, give us today our daily bread. This idea that it is, it is a daily thing. Why? Because we don't know that the next day is going to come. That we shouldn't live for tomorrow. That we're, that we're living in today. Today, now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to experience God. Now is the time to do whatever the thing is that God has told you to do. Jesus is the one that says, you know, if you're at the altar and you remember an offense, go, work it out. Work it out, then come back. There's a time for it. James is the one that talks about, James echoes a very similar message when he talks about, you know, we're, we're just a mist that appears for a little while. 
So for those of you who say, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of business here, I'm going to do a little business here, I'm going to do that and do that, you don't know that that's going to happen. You don't know that that's going to happen. Paul, in one of my favorite scriptures, he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are, the days are evil. I like uh, the King James uses the word redeem the time. Redeem the time. Time is almost something that, that loses its value because we, have, we think we have so much of it. We act like we have so much of it. And Paul is saying, redeem the time because the days are evil. The days go by. The days go by. And the next thing you know, a year is gone, whatever. And you still haven't gotten right with that person. Or you still haven't responded to that thing that God has told you about yourself. Redeem the time. So what is God saying to us? What, is, what, what, is, what does that mean for us? Am I saying that we should all drop out of school, get married, you know, get, get on the fast track for everything? No, I don't, th- I don't think that's the message that Paul's trying to get across. <laughs> I saw that. Um, <laughs> think about the, the way that Paul says it is great because he says not as unwise but as wise. Antley told a, a great story this morning where, where uh, somebody that he knew went into the mission field and really experienced God in a powerful way and knew that he was going back. But he finished up college, got his degree in industrial engineering, and then went back and helped them build wells and run irrigation. Well, had he said, oh man, God has this thing for me, and he just went right into the field, he would have been a high schooler. You know, I mean, God could have used him, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't what God had in plan planned for him. And somehow he knew that. Somehow he knew that he was going to get his degree and he was going to learn this skill and then he was going to go back. And I can tell you, somebody could be in the exact same circumstances and God has a totally different plan. It was to not go to college. Maybe it was not even to finish up high school. I don't know. That's God. But the point is God works that way, doesn't he? God works that way. There is a sense of urgency, a sense of immediacy. So it might, it might be godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. Lauren, Lauren, hey, Lauren, can I tell everybody? Lauren's going back to, to Costa Rica. You know, she's like, this is awesome. This is what God has for me. So she's going back in two weeks. From a worldly perspective, you could say, you are nuts. Raise some money, you know, get to know some people, prepare, get some books, learn some Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? Oh, well, I couldn't say that. Learn French, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of worldly things that we could say to her. But when when you receive a revelation like that, it would be bad for her if if those were the things holding her up. I don't have enough money. Uh, No, I really, you know, there's this thing that I need to to do here. Or I'm just, I'm scared. I'm going to wait until, you know, I'm really ready. Those are things that I think Jesus would say, no. You know, there's, a, there's an urgency here. You don't know that tomorrow's going to come. You don't know that that's going to happen. Now, if she were to say, God has called me to Costa Rica, but that's not where he wants me right now. He wants me to learn Spanish, or he wants me to, to do something. That, that's different. If you believe, and that's the hard part, 
is it is a personal revelation from God. And I can't tell you what it is. That's what's got to be so hard for poor Anley. I'm looking forward to the conversations that come from all of his message this morning and this message. But this idea that, that there is an urgency to this life, there's an urgency to the message of Jesus, and that we need to respond, that we shouldn't put it off because of fear. We shouldn't put it off because we don't like it. We shouldn't put it off because we're scared or, or, or whatever. We should, we, should, we should make godly, wise decisions. It should be based on godly wisdom. And I think about, there's, you know, there's all kinds of examples in Scripture of people who the promise was given years before, years before they ever got to see the fulfillment of that promise, right? I mean, there's so many cool, so many cool things that we could talk about. It, it, the way that God works. Think about just the promise of the Messiah. Think about the promise of the second coming. It's something that's out there that we know about that we should live every day as if it could happen. But we don't know when it's going to happen. And sometimes we get those promises from God where we know, you know what, God has called me to the mission field, but, but it's not yet. It's not yet. That's godly wisdom. If you say, you know what, yeah, I, I know because, because I, I have experienced that with God. As I have sought him in, in my prayer time, as I have sought godly counsel, I don't think it's time for me to go and do this thing. But not, man, you know, I just have always pictured myself getting uh, through college, and therefore I need to get my college degree before I go and I do this thing. Well, that's not, that's not godly wisdom. That's not, you know, that, that's not applying the principles that I think Jesus is getting across in this parable for us. So what is God saying to you? I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you what God is, is saying to you. I don't know what that thing is that you're dealing with. And it's not all about, you know, this is the college and career group, so we tend to talk about, you know, these kind of things, career and stuff like that. But it's not all that. It could be unforgiveness that you're holding on to. It could be somebody in your family that whenever you think about them, you just want to spit. You're so mad. Whatever, I don't know. You know, it could be, it could, it could be any of these things. It could be that little pet sin that you're holding on to that you just don't want to talk to God about because you're, you're afraid that you're going to get convicted of it or you're afraid of, of what's going to happen when you talk to God about it. The message of Jesus is no. Now is the day of salvation. You don't know that tomorrow is going to, going to happen. Peter, in, in one of his letters, you know, he talks about our response should be to pursue holiness. Our response as believers should be to pursue holiness because we don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so it's not just about career choices and whether or not I'm going to, whatever, get this degree or that degree. There's a lot more to uh, the decisions that we face and the immediacy of the message of Jesus. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? The only way you're going to hear it is through God. You know, we read the scripture, and it's the basis for the way that God talks to us. It's, it's many times that the scripture is the thing that, that sets off what comes next, what comes next from God. But it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes it alive. He is the one uh, that helps the translators when they sit down and they say, well, what does this mean? How do I, how do I translate this into, into the language, making, making it understandable? It's the Holy Spirit that, that works through them, that we believe was the inspiration for all Scripture. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings that revelation. How are you ever going to know if you don't ask? How are you ever going to know what, is, what are the good works that God has planned for me unless you ask? What are the things that I'm holding on to that I need to give up? What's the thing that, that, that I'm holding myself back in? 
The only way you're going to know is by asking and believing that the Holy Spirit, that he wants to lead you into that truth, that he wants to work in you, that God wants to speak to you. And so that's what I want to do right now, is just take an opportunity um, to do that. So let's go ahead and stand. And we're, we're going to ask that God would do that. God, we, um, we know uh, that you speak today, and we know uh, that you have plans for our lives, that you have established good works for us to do. We pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, we pray that you would give us pictures and words and just all, all kinds of revelations, that you're your gifts would be poured out on us tonight so that we would, we would know what are the things that you would have us do that we've been putting off. And what areas of our life do we need to be, to be urgent? God, is it someone that we need to, to forgive? Someone that we need to ask forgiveness from? God, is it a wound? Is it a wound that we've held on to for so long and that we, we have yet to ask that you would heal it? That we've yet to bring before you? God, is it, is it a career thing? Is it quitting that job because I know that you have something else for me? Or is it going on that mission trip? Going into the field? talking to that person that you've put on my heart, that you've told me to speak to about you. God, is it a relationship that we've let gone sour? I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. So one of the things that we did uh, this morning um, that we're going to do every year now is give people an opportunity to allow Jesus to wreck their life is what we, the kind of the language we used. And what we said was, if, what is the one thing that if Jesus did it in your life this year would reorient everything about who you are? What's the one thing that in 2008, if Jesus did it, you would change everything to worship him in a greater way? You would change everything. You'd be willing to give up everything. You'd really be willing to do anything if Jesus did this one thing. And to write it down on a card and with the idea and the understanding that J- Jesus wants to do that so that you'll worship him more. Because a life that is yielded more to God is a life that is, is postured in worship to his Father. And that Jesus came to restore our relationship with the Father so that we would worship him. That more than anything, God the Father desires to be worshipped. And so, again, just an example of that would be, and this is an extreme example to make my point, is if you were in a hospital and someone died and you prayed for them and they came back to life, you would change the way you worship Jesus. You would change a lot of things about your life probably. It would probably scare you to death. 
but you would change the way you lived. If you started praying for healing for people and they began to be healed, it would change the way that you worship God, wouldn't it? It would change the way that you lived, wouldn't it? And so I thought, what a great thing to do at the beginning of every year is to write down on a card, what is the thing that would cause me to worship Christ more? What is the thing that would cause me that I would, that I would change and be willing to do everything? There's this thing in my life that I've been asking for, that I desire, that I want God to do, that I need God to do. And, and basically what we're trying to do is, is to allow Jesus to set the standard for our life and our expectation of what God is capable of, as opposed to our own behavior or what we think we can get done, what we can get done this year. And so we're going to pass out these cards right here. Let me see this, Haley. Let me see a handful of them. We're going to pass these out. <laughs> Just get coming. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch over there. There's a bunch here. Just grab them. That didn't go well. That didn't go like I thought it would go. Here's pens. Close your eyes. But wait, do we have more cards than that, Haley? Because I just threw like all of them went in the balcony, I think. If you did it this morning, don't do it again. But what is the thing? Again, it can be a personal area that Tom talked about in your life.